Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Waiteka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar. Others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Hi, everyone. Could there be a better guest than what I, who I have today? I am so excited. I would like to tell you about my guest, who is definitely a storyteller. She is the sunshine storyteller, Ina Butner Barnett. Welcome to the show, Ina. Thank you for having me on, Marsha. You're my pleasure. And I believe I miss, it's Barnett, isn't it? That's how you say your last name, correct? It is Barnett, yes. Okay. Buckner Barnett. But it's been a little bit of a snafu for so many people for so long. I'm now thinking about changing it to just Ina. The Sunshine Storyteller. There quick and simple. Quick yeah. and simple. Well, I, the, okay, so talking about storytelling, I could just spend the whole hour telling my story, but this show is about you. I have to share with our listeners how I came to snag you to be a guest and a storyteller on my show. I was driving into Costco had to pick up my, I had to get some gasoline, get a few things at Costco, looking for a place to park, and not a lot of parking, and I see this vehicle. And on the passenger side of this vehicle, I think it was passenger side, is this one of these magnetic sort of advertising um, billboards, for lack of a better word. And on this, on this sign was your name with this fabulous picture of you with this big um, aura of a sunshine around your face and it says the Ina Buckner Barnett shuns, sun, blah, sunshine storyteller. I'm going wait wait a minute here. What is, what, what is it about this lady? So I stopped you. Yes I did. I thought well I have to find a place to park. You have to find a place to park. So I followed you down that aisle. I saw where you parked. <laughs> Luckily I could park in the same aisle. I went to the left. You went to the right. We got out of the car, and it was like I accosted you, and I said, oh, we, we, we need to talk because I need to know something about you. You're a storyteller, and I have a radio show, and I have a feeling I want to know you. And so that, that's, I love that. I love how I meet people that way. And, boy, lo and behold, little did I know just how much there is to know about you because Ina, remind me, when I met you, were you walking with non-English-speaking people into Costco? Is that, what I, is that what I was witnessing? Well, I will no longer call them non-English speakers because they are some Ooh. of my prized students. <laughs> wow. Besides being a storyteller, I'm an adult education teacher from Los Angeles mm-hmm. Unified. And um, my students and I were going into Costco because the next day we were going to have a barbecue. So that's <laughs> why you saw me in that parking lot. But I want you to know that those signs, 
Well, I won't say that I stopped traffic with those signs, but I can say that I've talked in many a parking lot because of those signs. People see them and they say, what is a storyteller? And then if they know what a storyteller is, then they ask me, well, where are you performing? And Mm -hmm. because my signs are kind of, I'll say, happy and childlike, um, they ask me, do you do school shows? And I say, yes, and please give my information to the principal because I'd love to come and visit your kids at their school. Isn't that the best? I mean, seriously, it's, it really did connect me to you. And because, I mean, what's your story is what's on my business cards. I really care about storytelling. I thought maybe we could just open this show because, oh, my goodness, you are a talented person. Could you just tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Where did you grow up and just a little bit where you went to school? I'd like to know a little bit about your background. Okay. Well, there's a story in that, of course. And um, (laughs) as a child, I became a storyteller uh, because I grew up in the Midwest, Illinois and Michigan. And in Illinois, um, we had a sort of recreation program after the lunch hour or after the, the eating part of the lunch hour at my elementary school. And um, during good weather, everybody go out and play, no problem. But if you're familiar at all with Northern Illinois, you know that we have three months. Uh, those kids are not going back outside. We're keeping them in where it's warm, safe, and dry, and all that good stuff. So what would happen is um, the lunchroom aides um, didn't exactly know what to do with all the kids and all their interests. And what they let us do when I was a sixth grader, I got a special note from my teacher, Mrs. Golden, and um, I could usually go up with a couple of my friends and we would take care of the animals that we had in our classroom. We had a complete zoo between the gerbils and the fish and the hamsters and you name it. We we had them in our classroom. It was back in the day when you could. And we'd take Mm -hmm. care of those animals at lunchtime. And sometimes they'd send younger children into our room, hoping that we might kind of entertain them. And so that's what we did. I started making up stories about the animals in the cages and we'd read books to the kids or um, we'd have them do art projects. And um, that's how I started telling stories. Little did I know uh, as I continued on and started doing speaking events and singing in choir. And well, I started dance lessons when I was three uh, that (laughs) I would find out that this was actually a profession. That step didn't actually happen. (laughs) Yeah, it was great. Mm -hmm. I didn't find out it was a profession until I was going through my, I'm 40 years old, I've won major awards, and my career, well, I won't say it's flatlining, but I'm not performing as much as I'd like to. And um, Hmm. what ended up happening was I was standing in the library ready to ask for what color is my parachute or what color is your parachute? You know, that career guidance book. I do. Yeah. I sure do. And there was a long line. And so I started looking at all the brochures on the information desk at the library. And I saw this brochure for a three-day conference in traditional arts. 
and it was uh, traditional arts, things like playing spoons, playing washboards, um, country and folk dance, and storytelling. Hmm. And I was looking through this brochure, and I saw that they fly people in from all over the world to perform at this conference. And I thought, I didn't know that people got paid and traveled around the world to tell stories, what I'd been doing since I was in elementary school, what I continued doing in junior high and had trophies for from high school and college. Nobody told me that in acting class. And so I went to the conference and it was just incredible. Uh, Two of the people who led workshops there are still my mentors now as a professional storyteller. I took all the workshops they had in storytelling, and the last night, which was a Sunday night, they had sort of an open mic thing where you could perform a story that you had worked on. And I had worked on the story of me getting my driver's license uh, when I was 16 Mm -hmm. and a half, and I told that story. And people followed me into the restroom and told me how good my story was. And I thought, wow, when I got an Emmy and when I got nominated for a second one, nobody followed me into the restroom to tell me how (laughs) much they liked my work. Maybe this storytelling thing is what I'm supposed to do. And um, I considered that a sign and started pursuing it as a career. And that was about uh, 17 years ago. That is just so cool. So you're 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 in Illinois. You 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 went to you went you went to Emerson. Is that you went to school to college? Right. I went to Emerson when Emerson was just in Boston. Now we have a campus here in LA, and I'm an active alumni. Yeah. Hmm, okay. But uh, so I what, loved it. I studied you... theater and TV at, at Emerson. Right. Right. Okay. So what brought you, I, sus- I think I probably can guess, but what brought you from Illinois <laughs> out to Los Angeles? Because I imagine that's a story, too. Okay. Well, yes, it is. Now, <laughs> there, there were a few stops before I made the trip to L.A. I went okay. to Emerson College, majored in TV production and acting. I had a concentrated major where I was working primarily in educational theater and educational TV. I created that major. And I ended up getting a job as an outgrowth from my internship at WCBB in Boston. I got to work with some of the people that even helped create some of children's television network shows, which was a mm. thrill for me. But oh, sure. it wasn't paying a lot of money. So okay. when Ted Turner, remember that name in TV oh, sure. land, uh, when he yeah. sent recruiters out looking for workers, I was hired from Boston and made the trip down to Atlanta. And so I worked in Atlanta in TV. Um, in Atlanta, it was a non-union shop. So as a beginning TV person, I was able to get hands on all kinds of equipment and really learn how a TV show is made, and I took advantage of it, and I had a great time for three and a half years, but I also realized that 
I needed to be in a place where people didn't tell me, no, you can't do that. I created my own children's TV show, which had always been my dream, um, using public access facilities. And um, Mm -hmm. people told me I couldn't do it. And all I could say was, I'm doing it now, which is why I'm calling you asking for XYZ. And after three and a half years, I felt like I had some serious skills that could go into the marketplace. And I also fell in love with someone who was from Los Angeles. (laughs) So he came out about seven months ahead of me. And um, actually, he came out and he was working in San Francisco. And I did that. I was able to get a job at the same station he was working at. And I did that for about two and a half, well, two years. And from Mm -hmm. there, um, my position, I got a special uh, sort of trainee position at the station out there. And once that position was ending, it was time for me to figure out what I wanted to do. And I still wanted to perform as well as produce. So I ended up getting an agent in San Francisco. And, um, well, I got really, really lucky because my first three commercial auditions, I booked. And so they were thrilled. I was thrilled. The money was good. I, um, at that time, was ending my job in commercial TV and started working in cable TV again and worked in Oakland. And I was able, back then I was real young, and able to work really super hours. So I juggled being a working actress and being um, a production manager for a cable company, and we did cable advertising. And because I was the manager, Mm -hmm. I could pretty much, um, well, I needed to be there at least six out of the eight hours that most people were there. But I had Mm -hmm. some leeway with going in early or staying late, and that way I was able to juggle being both. But then I decided I wanted more. So I started communicating with friends from college. And uh, one of my best friends from, <laughs> from Emerson College was already a tour guide at Universal and working as an actress here. And she told me that Robert Guillaume, remember that name? Oh, oh sure. Father was working with ABC. Yes. Uh, now um, the Robert Guillaume show. And that's oh, Dion, the show that's that I came song. down here. To, mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, so he was doing a follow-up. Well, it wasn't a follow-up to Benson, but everybody knew him from Benson. And he was going to uh-huh. have his own show on ABC, and they were staffing it completely. Uh, they were very interested in finding as many African-Americans as they could. And I fit that bill, too. So I was hired They'd seen my resume, they'd seen my tape, but they hadn't met me. I was hired over Sunday night. Monday, I called my agent, I called my manager. They said, oh, my God, how did this happen? How did you get them to talk to you? I said, it's a week before my birthday, and I landed five acting jobs, and this is one of them. They want me to come down and be a stand-in. Should I go? And they said, should you go? We'll help you pass. So by the next Sunday, I had moved to Los Angeles, and I was then again blessed because 
Another friend from college was going on vacation for six weeks, and he needed somebody to apartment sit for him. So I had free housing. I had a job. I had a couple of friends from college who were going to be working on the same show. So I packed up my little mirage and drove that bad boy down to Los Angeles. <laughs> and I've been here for about close to 30 years since then. God, you know, I I really did mishear you because obviously not Robert Young. When you said Robert Guillaume, do you know what went through my mind? Mm-hmm. He was the first person that I saw star in Phantom of the Opera. Wasn't wasn't he didn't he take yeah. the lead role in that many many years ago? That's yes, what I thought. I, I ultimately saw uh, the other guy, um, Gaines. I can't remember his name right now, but I, I saw Robert Guillaume. He was my first Phantom, so I definitely do remember him. You know, it's so interesting um, how this show developed and what your story is all about because I think people forget, personally, I think people forget that they have stories or maybe they think, oh, well, gosh, my story isn't as interesting as her story. But you know what? I think they're all interesting. I think stories unite us. And while you may have gone down this path, you know, when people tell me their stories, I often find a way of connecting. There's something about your mm-hmm. story that maybe applies to me or to my life or to my loved ones or anything like that. Um, it's I think it's the beauty of living. And when people say, well, what do you talk about on your shows? You know, what is, what is this born to talk? Well, all you have to do is spend five minutes with me, and you know what that's all about. But I said, you know, I avoid the sort of the, the negative. I, I don't want to talk about things that are divisive because there's enough of that out there. I don't need to be part of that. I'm part of what is, what's inclusive. What are we really all about, Alfie? What is it that, that makes us enjoy each other? And that's, that is fortunately why social media personally works for me. I know it doesn't work for everybody, but it is definitely a form of how we communicate and develop our communities. And I, I just, I'm so thrilled. I know, you, I know you've won Emmys. I mean, I know you are in, so very accomplished. But I want to I want to delve into this whole storytelling thing because I'm not sure that um, you you mentioned that you really developed your interest very young as a six year old. Did you have anybody that was in your life that inspired you that in your family or someone that you knew a teacher that you felt was a really good storyteller yourself, or did you just develop this on your own this interest? I can't say that I had anyone telling me stories. I can say that Mm -hmm. I always had a captive audience. Um, I was Mm -hmm. blessed in that I was raised by not only my parents, but also my grandmother. She lived with us. So Mm -hmm. I'm an only child. I always had an attentive ear. And so even at the age of seven, I remember because, okay, I have wandering eyes. I saw the report Mm -hmm. cards for semester of second grade, and my teacher wrote down, she's very talkative, but stable. And I have always been talkative because I had somebody to talk to. 
And I remember going home to look in the dictionary because I didn't know what stable was. I didn't know if it was a good or a bad. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I've learned it was good. But I can say that I think I was heavily influenced by something my parents gave me. I had one of those tiny little um, record players, you know, that would play the 45s, the 78s, and the 33s, and the 3rds. Yep. Okay. Yep. And one of my favorite toys was this set of uh, recorded Disney stories. And Mm -hmm. Lady and the Tramp and Snow White, those were like two of my favorites. And I almost had them memorized. Because you had the picture book with the words at the bottom, and then you'd listen to it, and it would go ding, and you change the pages. That was like my favorite toy in the universe. And I would listen to them over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I remember those books. I I do remember those books. Um, that's that's a terrific story. So what do you? If I if I said to you, okay, so let's. I I think this would be an important thing to ask. Maybe we could start off by defining what you mean by storytelling, because maybe everybody doesn't really know what that means. So you describe to me maybe your method of what storytelling is. Well, I'd like to make it even broader than that, because today storytelling kind of has two wings, and we are of the same bird. And one wing is uh, what I will call traditional storytelling, the telling of folk tales, um, the telling of culture. And um, these are stories that are passed on from generation to generation. Originally, they were orally passed on. Now that we have writing, they're in books, too. But they're the stories that um, grandparents would tell their grandchildren or literally griots or traveling storytellers would tell a community and then the community would share that with people who weren't at the event. Mm-hmm. That's one wing of storytelling. And when one works in that area, um, it is truly a spoken word art and you tell the story. You might change your physicality to represent the different characters in the story You might use something called call and response, so you'd have repeating phrases that the listeners would repeat to help further the story. You would change your voice uh, and, of course, your eye contact levels to be the different people people and or animals in your stories. And most of those stories usually have some kind of moral message. Um, Then a more modern use of storytelling Uh, And it's very popular with shows like The Moth, and it's uh, also Mm -hmm. gaining popularity in the business world. These are the telling of personal tales. And these can be true stories about something that's happened to you, or it can be Mm -hmm. sort of an exaggeration or extension of a personal happening and your reflection on it and the people that were there. And again, You, as the teller, will tell the story. 
You will use different voices for the different people who are affecting you, causing this situation to happen. And Mm -hmm. um, you might employ um, pre-recorded sounds for sound effects so people really hear what um, that environment sounded like. Or you might teach them how to make those sounds so that they can add it to the story and make it participatory. That is one of the trademarks of my style. I am um, an interactive or participatory storyteller. So I do make up little, I'll call them chants or little like nursery songs, as well as Mm -hmm. using call and response phrases so that the audience is fully involved in my telling. That's so cool. And that's what storytelling is looking like now. That's, That's so fascinating. There might be people listening right now that don't know about the moth. Um, I, I happen that's and I'll just, you can just look that up, folks, and Google, and you'll learn what the moth is. I've been to some moth presentations. I'm a Toastmaster, and I'm mm-hmm. sure you're familiar with that as well. And while we don't, we do some of those same things that you're discussing right there, being able to stand up in front of a group and maybe participate in a contest telling a story. Uh, so I know, and so then I hear myself say, ah, and then if you're a Toastmaster, you know that's a no-no. But what I was going to say, it sounds to me like storytelling has a lot of components to it. And you have the, the wherewithal to make it so exciting and interesting for so many different um, listeners, depending upon who your audience is. What is it about storytelling that you enjoy so much? Why is it that you have such a passion for this? I love it because it's a way to truly connect with people and to take them on a journey that most find incredibly joyful. Uh, sometimes they learn connect us. And like you said, we need to work on remembering all the ways in which we are alike, because they truly Mm -hmm. do outnumber the ways that we are different. Absolutely. Because then everybody will feel calmer. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. Have you had the privilege of doing a lot of traveling in your life? Um, Now I can say, yes, I am a world traveler. Um, I have traveled to most of the states. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what about internationally? And uh, this summer I was able to go to Europe for the first time. And I've also been in a couple of the provinces of Canada, Mexico, Jamaica, Mm -hmm. yeah, Hawaii, been around a little bit. Well, but here's what I think in, in regarding what you just said. People have their ways of communicating and telling, telling stories wherever you go, whether you are in Europe or you're in Mexico and Canada, um, Africa where I was because I want to talk about drumming in a little bit. But I have found that unless there's a language barrier, which, of course, that does change things a little bit, although people can talk with their eyes and their hands for sure, I find that storytelling whether it's the, the two, the, I love the way you describe the wings, you know, one, that traditional story that grandma 
grandma heard from her grandma. Now you're, she's telling you, and now you're telling them, and that's a story. Or you're reading a book, and that's a story. But when you become um, telling the personal tales, uh, that just adds another element. And I, and I really like that, and I can see why you find that enjoyable. And I suspect that's why you feel it's really important. Is that right? Well, everyone has a story to tell, and everyone needs to be heard. And when we are heard, we feel accepted. And that acceptance is what I'm all about. You bet. You abs- that is absolutely, it's, it's central to our core. Um, I, it's, it's really interesting. You know, I tell you, I, I like to sort of stay focused, but, you know, sometimes I don't. And, but when you talk about the word acceptance, it really does mean so much to so many, and I think it's universal like a storyteller. I, I would be surprised to hear that there would be people that would say, I don't really care if you like me or not. I mean, I don't really care if I like you either, to be perfectly honest with you, because I don't care. I, don't, I, I probably don't run across too many people like that because it's just I would, I would probably recognize the, the behavior and just move on. But I think that most people do want to be accepted for who they are. You don't have to fit into a box. You shouldn't have to design yourself to be accepted. Acceptance should be given freely, and and I think that that's such a key word. Um, when you perform, and I, I think I know some of the answers to these questions, but I'm so excited to hear about them. Where are some of the places that you would take your storytelling? Where do you perform? Well, I perform for all the school districts between Santa Barbara and San Diego. Um, I've also performed in Northern Illinois, where I'm from. Uh, Mm -hmm. Then I also perform in hospitals, senior centers, museums are a large part of my uh, working population. I perform at Mm. shopping malls, backyard parties, conventions, uh, art festivals, you name it. But I'd have to say that one one of my very first and favorite memories of being a professional storyteller was I was working at a major hospital, and they were looking for recreation for their inpatients. And I performed in their psychiatric ward. And some Mm -hmm. people might say, the storytellers going into the psych ward, that might not be a good combination. (laughs) But (laughs) (laughs) once I got in there, I remember the very first time I was there, there was a um, gentleman, very large man, um, about the size of Rosie Greer, ex-football player. You know, okay, Mm -hmm. so you get the size of this guy. Yes, and I do. They went around and they invited people to come uh, because it was their choice, of course. Um, he protested loudly. Okay. okay. He didn't know why anybody would come to tell stories. He didn't want to hear them. What has she got to <laughs> say? This is a waste of my time. Well, <laughs> somehow they got him to come. And he came over and he shook my hand at the end and he said, I really like that. 
and when are you coming back? But that wasn't the best thing. The second time I came, he went from room to room telling people that they should come and hear my story. Oh, my God. And at the end of that show, um, a woman who was blind, um, and she didn't realize that I saw her with her seeing eye dog, (laughs) because she came over to thank me for telling stories. (laughs) <laughs> and she said, you know, I could really see the story you were talking about. You may not know this, oh. but I'm blind, but I could really see it. And that oh, was that yet another affirmation. Hard. I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing. This is what I am using a gift that I was given. You, oh, you're so right. You um, identify yourself, and I and I was curious about this term because I think people that want to really – know about you and and see you and see what you actually look like because you are a vision my friend they can they can go to sunshine i have some betray in this sunshine storyteller.com and your website right. is very uh, up to date and um they it even has places where you're where you're performing but one of the things that i read about you there that i thought was curious and i just didn't know the the definition you identified yourself as a concert storyteller, and I, I don't. What is what is a what is a concert storyteller? What does that mean? Okay, so when uh, I consider all of my shows concerts, so it okay. is a collection of stories, participatory stories, um, that we we weave together into one cohesive show, and it's a mm-hmm. show that the audience participates in. And so it is kind of like music for your story ears because I do weave in music and movement Mm -hmm. and it's just all one presentation. That's, that's really, that's neat. So you've been, you've been, you mentioned you've been doing this a long time and, um, but it doesn't, it doesn't just happen without some attention. So how do you, do you have a method? How do you train to be a storyteller? How, what's your process? Well, uh, for me, once I found out it was a job, then I had to find <laughs> out people who were doing it. And we have an organization called uh, the National Storyteller Network. And I happen to be the Los Angeles and Ventura County liaison for the national organization. And so we Mm. keep a collection of um, addresses or a calendar of all the storytelling um, uh, groups that meet on a monthly basis. And they have what we call story swaps. And at a story swap, you can go as a listener to just hear stories, or you can actually start to workshop a story that you'd like to tell. And you can get feedback on your presentation. And um, you can see other tellers who are more experienced and less experienced. And you can glean things from their telling that you'd like to implement in yours. That's so it's, fascinating. it's very much like Toastmasters, but not quite as mm-hmm. structured as a training well, ground. Right. Mm-hmm. I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about your National um, Storyteller Network. Are the people Mm -hmm. that participate, 
are they professional speakers or are they uh, by professional I mean you know is this what they do for their living or is this what they just love doing because it's part of who they are who who are the people that are part of your network what what how are they made up um it's listeners who just love story and they generally mm-hmm. come to performances concerts conventions and festivals uh people who are um doing it because it's their hobby. Uh, It is um, also populated by people who are doing this as a profession. It's also Mm -hmm. visited by people who are perhaps social workers or nurses or um, public relations um, and HR professionals who are looking for Mm -hmm. new ways to reach um, the populations that they work with. And people have found that everybody loves a good story. You like to get comfortable in your chair and through your imagination, go to another space. And frequently what happens with story is that you can go to uncomfortable places or you can Mm -hmm. go to places you've always wanted to go to physically but for whatever reason, it hasn't been safe. It hasn't been affordable. There just hasn't been the time yet. And yes. you can go there in a story and share that with other people around you. And by That's having beautiful. that sharing happen, mm-hmm. everybody gets to grow. And that's why I think it's so popular. It It, it is so popular. And I've, I've been doing my radio show now for well over three years. In April, it was April of 2015 when I first got started. And in, mm-hmm. in the early years, actually my first three years, I was actually in a studio. It was still an Internet show, but I was an audiovisual show. So I got to intimately look at my guests while we spoke. And I have had a gentleman. His name is Jim Mueller, and he has actually been on my show four times. And he is the producer here locally of a show called the South Bay Storytellers. And it is designed for people very similarly to what you were describing. Maybe they have never really been a professional storyteller, but there's something about their lives that they wish to share on the stage with an audience that wants to hear their stories. And I've been to the last, He does it every March, and I've been to his storyteller shows, and I've actually um, suggested some people that have been guests on my show to be on his show because, just like you said, we we connect that way, and that's that's very interesting, and I'm going to make sure that I I mention um, your network to Jim because I think that that's yet what this is about, conversations, connections, and in this case, a community of storytellers. When you start doing stories, where do you where do you get your stories? How how do you develop your stories? Well, um, I read all kinds of collections of folk tales from around the world. I also read the humorous kind of crazy stories uh, from the internet and from. Uh, magazines and newspapers, um, stories about curious things that happen. 
Mm-hmm. And once a story speaks to me, then I start to do uh, the library and or Internet research to get more background on it. I'll give you mm-hmm. a case in point. Please. I was getting ready to, I was leaving my daytime adult school teaching job and um, the security guard and I were very good friends and, you know, we're saying goodbye, see you Monday, all that good stuff. And he just happened to say, so, so you're all dressed, you changed clothes. Why are you all dressed up? What are you doing? And I told him that I was going to tell stories at a preschool in La Cañada. And he said, tell stories? What, What kind of stories do you tell? And I told him that I was going to tell, one of the stories that I like to tell is about a real live penguin who lived and was adopted by a family in Japan. And the penguin goes shopping. And by the time that I said the penguin goes shopping, this big burly security guard turns <laughs> pale and starts sweating. And I'm like, Don, what, what, what's wrong? Well, as it turns out, when he was a Marine, a young Marine, and they were um, on shore leave in Japan, he went to the same open-air market where the penguin in my story frequented. No. And the yes. And he and his buddies thought the penguin was, you know, like a stuffed animal, a kind of a statue thing that you could take pictures with. So the three of them gathered around the penguin. They're trying to hug the penguin and get their shot. Well, the penguin didn't like to be hugged by strangers. So the penguin chased the three Marines through the shopping area. And they went screaming, as he said, like little girls. These three big burly marine guys, and oh a penguin was behind. Them. But that is... that's not the penis go resist song. Oh no, there's so... more. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. So you know he's blown away that I'm telling this story. I'm like, yeah, it's a great story. It's on the internet, and and it's in one of our ESL books. I'll show it to you on Monday. So I leave, I go to the preschool, I'm telling the story. And a young mother is standing in the doorway watching as I'm telling the story. And I'm the sunshine storyteller. Nobody dies in my story. They may go away forever and ever, but nobody dies in my stories. So this is a very happy story, actually, um, because Mm -hmm. the penguin is adopted by the family. And in return the penguin learns to go to the um, fish market on his own because, you know, he has his own interests. And so the family is able to put notes in the backpack that they put on the penguin. And so the penguin becomes a delivery service. Yes, indeed. It's a true story. Shopping penguin. Go to YouTube. You'll see it. Oh, I'm going to do it. Shopping penguin. Got it. Yes. Go. It is too cute for words. Um, So I'm telling the story. The mom is in the doorway and she is crying. She has to pull out tissues, tears coming down. And I'm like, you know, after we get the kids settled into their next activity, you know, after my show, I had a chance to go over and, and talk to her. And as it turned out, she and her family had just been transferred because her husband got a promotion and they moved to Los Angeles. They were from the village right next to where the penguin lives, 
And she remembered when Animal Kingdom sent the TV crew and they were videotaping the penguin walking down the street and in the market and doing all kinds of penguin silliness. And it made her homesick. So that was yet another affirmation that this is what I'm supposed to do, that I can touch people like that. Yeah. Gosh. Mm -hmm. Gosh. Ina, it's just, it, it's, it is, I'm, I'm, I'm not normally speechless, but I, I think that your power of words and the power of expression and the power of storytelling, I, I, I don't know if you remember reading back in the day when Irma Brombeck would write, you know, uh, for the LA Times yes. and you'd read her uh-huh. funny stories and it would just lighten your day, you know, and, and, right, and, right. And for you, this was this was your gift to receive. For this Marine to share that with you, I mean, he was absolutely getting, um, receiving a gift, but my goodness, so were you. And then to, yes. uh, to then to go to that school and witness this woman again receiving a gift that she has been giving to you, wow, that is just, that's just, phenomenal i i just i just wow i just it's just great um i can see why you love what you do because you touch so many people and that affirmation that just keeps interweaving between our conversation um not just you affirming others but others also affirming you it's 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 a it's a beautiful if it's a beautiful thing if you are going to advise people that are listening right now which is me, I got to tell you, um, to to be a storyteller. You don't have to be an actor, right? You don't have to have no, an acting don't. background to be an no, aspiring teller, do you? So what advice would no, you, you give don't. somebody that was listening? I would tell them to Google National Storytellers Network, and I would tell them, to uh, look for story swaps or storytelling events in their local community. If someone who hears this show, um, they contact me by going to sunshinestoryteller.com, they can Mm -hmm. send me an email and let me know what area they live in, and I can tell them when local storytelling events are happening. I am building my connection with the personal story area of storytellers, but I am firmly entrenched with the traditional storytellers. And go to the event and start to Mm -hmm. listen. As Mm -hmm. you listen, if you are so moved and you're at a traditional storyteller event, we on a monthly basis meet, and so you can start to work on your story and you can share it at an upcoming event. The um, storytelling events that are story swaps, um, usually there is a free will offering at the door because, you know, they have to pay the church or the school or whatever it is sure. uh, where they're having the meeting. But um, people put two or three bucks in the basket and voila, it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're a very um, welcoming, low-key um nurturing place to try telling stories. And then if you're good at it, you like it, 
then there are classes. Uh, one of my mentors, Barbara Clark, has been telling um, or teaching um, seniors how to tell stories, how to write and then perform their stories in a very successful workshop called Tell Me a Story. And uh, I think they've been going on for about, oh, I'm going to say probably a good 10 years. Uh, there are also mm -hmm. college courses in storytelling, uh, especially in the San Diego area and Riverside areas, because two professional <laughs> storytellers that I work with, they are instructors in those classes. Nice. But contact me, contact National Storytelling Network. Uh, there are online classes for storytelling. Um, there are mm. books. There's a plethora of books that really explain the craft. And then you just find that story that you want to try to work on and come to a swap and start doing it. I remember early in my telling, one of my favorite stories that I tell, um, a friend of mine from Chicago wrote a children's book about this story. And I looked at his version, and I looked at about five other versions, and then I wanted to tell the story at a story swap. As it turned out, another friend of mine from Ventura, he had been studying the same story, and that night we both told the same story. But because oh, my style, yeah, my style is participatory, and he really went for the bilingual nature of the story, and he did it in English and Spanish. The audience loved it, and it was the same story, but because our styles were so different, they really didn't feel like they'd heard the same story twice because you put you into it. And that's what makes it each telling unique. And then what the audience brings to the whole performance makes it just like icing on a cake. It's just gosh. How long would a typical story last? Like this, this swapping story that the two of you did. How, mm -hmm. how long is your performance okay. about? Well, um, my concerts are an hour long. But we can oh. tell a story, oh, I'd say any place between, I'd say give a storyteller at least three minutes because there, mm -hmm. are, there are even collections of tales that are three minutes or shorter. But generally, wow. when you're working with a, an adult audience, a story could easily be someplace between uh, about nine and 15 minutes. Right. If you're working with a child audience, Usually, we make sure that each story is about 10 minutes or less. That makes because sense. Because you've got to keep it moving so you can keep them fully engaged. Exactly. Exactly. When I went to the moth um, in Hollywood, um, that was about the length of time that people used. And you, do you use... Do you speak straight out or do you use any notes when you're telling your when personally when you're telling your story? Do you work off mm -hmm. of anything in front of you or are you just work on the stage with it with, with no notes? I work the stage and the audience. Storytelling is telling, not reading. Got Many it. people as they're developing their material do work with a script, but the real mm -hmm. traditional art is an oral art which mm -hmm. is, that's when you get the chills down your spine. 
yeah. when a person creates yeah. not from a piece of paper. Now, the piece of paper can just be there as a crutch, but when you really get to break down that fourth wall and mm-hmm. it's between you, the teller, and the audience members, and you lock eye to eye and you see your story in their eyes, that's when mm. you know you've done your job. That's the magic, isn't it? Did yes, I it read on your website that you have also told stories via drum circles? Yes. Um, um, my partner uh, that I work with intermittently, uh, Chaz mm-hmm. Ross, he's a master percussionist, of, and he does world drumming. And what we do, we created a show in which uh, we give out about 26 audience drums. And during the show, Chaz teaches um, different patterns for the different mm-hmm. characters in my stories. And we do a live accompaniment to my stories while I'm telling the story. And so wow. the 26 drummers are making the loud stomping footsteps of the elephant or making the light flight uh, wing sounds of the dragonfly and everything in between. And that show is magical because not only is it storytelling, but we don't practice the different drumming patterns with the audience before the show. Mm -hmm. They listen and because they are so engaged, they are able mm-hmm. to follow the drubbing directions of Chaz live there. And it doesn't matter if they are skilled musicians or if they're a seven-year-old from Pacoima. Once you great? make that connection, people can follow mm-hmm. and anticipate when the patterns are changing, and then with very simple cues, you can get them to move from character to character and have the story evolve. That is truly something that makes the hairs on your back of your neck stand up. When you realize you've just told that story, you only gave the kids one or two cues so that they would change the patterns, but they are following you that intensely. That is truly active listening. For certain. And I did have that exact experience. I was in um, South Africa a couple of years ago and had that precise experience where you were that elephant or you were that person running or you were that dragonfly. It is pretty powerful. Do you... Um, do you still teach and coach yourself, or I, I, I'm not quite sure if, if you're actually mm-hmm. teaching this, this subject. Do you teach and coach? Uh, yes, I do. I te- a matter of fact, I have. Um, when it comes to my teaching, I work as a teaching artist, and I've worked with various companies, including the Los Angeles Music Center, um, LA's Best, um, let's see, Los Angeles. Uh, women in theater. I've had grants and I've done storytelling workshops for children, adults, uh, and even for teachers. So Mm -hmm. that's an ongoing process. And basically it just 
means um, whoever's got the grant money now, <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. I'll work for yeah. you. And that's sure. how we worked that Absolutely. one out. Mm-hmm. It would a story yeah. be? Is that what? What was that about? What What was that um, okay. experience like? Um, well, that was really easy. What happened was, um, I'm so sorry. I can't remember her name. I'm going to have to look it up because she's a truly oh, I'm wonderful sorry to put you on point. Okay, <laughs> yeah, but it's okay. But you go to storybeecut.com, and there you will find mm-hmm. these recordings from story uh, storytellers around the country that have been mm-hmm. freely contributed by the storytellers. And originally, the um, creator of that website created this collection of stories for children who were hospital-bound and couldn't get okay. out to libraries or um, access written materials easily. And so mm-hmm. we've all collected some of our recordings and contributed them. And so they have stories for very, very young listeners, and they go up through high school age listeners, and they are grouped according to um, reading and interest levels. And it's just really nice to have your material there that can be freely enjoyed by anyone. Sure, sure. Well, Mm -hmm. they they absolutely have a website, and... um, I kind of Googled it really quick while while you and I were talking. I don't see who the person is that you were referring to, but I and I'm so I'm sorry about that. But people can easily look that up. Um, I wanted to ask you something else as as we're getting close to the end of this time our story together. But it is something that I've mm-hmm. always been very interested in when I talk to people that have such a busy life, and it's funny because. Um, I, I've told this story on, on numerous shows. I mentioned to a, a young person, a millennial person, I said, oh, my gosh, you're so busy. How do you do all of this? And she said, I don't use that word. I said, excuse me? She said, no, no, I, you would never hear me say that I'm busy. I would say I'm productive. And I thought, whoa, I'm going to have to remember to put that word back into my vocabulary. So how do you balance your productive schedule based on all that you do? How do you balance yourself? <laughs> I'm going to have to remember that term, start Isn't using it myself. Clever? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. What, how do you stay in balance? Are you a yoga person? Do you meditate? What do you do to kind of get balanced? I am, I am learning to balance. I am mm-hmm. instinctively not a balanced person. My husband calls me the ever-ready bunny because just like (laughs) the bunny keeps moving and moving and moving and won't stop, that's pretty much me. So part of it is simply that I was born with a lot of energy. I was a premature Mm -hmm. baby, ready to get here, get it done, and 50-odd years later, I am still (laughs) ready to get here and get it done. I do exercise regularly. I have a strong prayer and meditation life, mm-hmm. um, and I'm blessed that much of the time I'm an optimist, or at least I'm trying that's great. to be. That's great. And yeah, that's, you that's know, sometimes really, I just have to fall down and take a nap. Yes. I, I would agree with you. Uh, I, I struggle for my own personal balance as well. 
Um, I, I really do. And it, it's not always easy. And um, you're married. I'm widowed. So I live alone. You, you don't. And so that balancing of my professional life, which is what I call what I'm doing with you now, and then all of the other aspects of things that I do in my life. I enjoy sports, and I have a lot of wonderful friends that I'm that I that I'm that I have a connection with. Um, but there still is that area of balance where you just have to just kind of take a deep breath and and come back to the center. And I I like you. I have a prayerful side as well, and I think that 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 helps me um, also stay balanced. But had it not been for that magnetic thing on the side of your car, you and I would not have had this fabulous opportunity to speak. I wouldn't have had this opportunity to share your story with others, and you wouldn't have had the opportunity to um, inspire others that feel very much like, whoa, I've got a story too, and I just didn't really know how to bring it out. And you've given some wonderful tips and suggestions for how people can develop their story. And that's, that's why I enjoy my show so much. And I'm just so grateful I needed gasoline that day and that you had that sign on your car because this wouldn't have happened otherwise. And we were meant to meet each other. And I'm just so very grateful for the time that you have spent with me today, Ina. Really, it's been such a pleasure. Well, I truly appreciate the fact that your teachers taught you to read well and they taught mm-hmm. you to feel safe so that you could approach somebody that you didn't mm-hmm. know from a hill of beans. And that's right. one of the reasons why I love living in this area because mm-hmm. generally people do have that feeling of goodwill towards each other and our innate curiosity um, is is safe to explore and develop so that we can all connect. And that's why yeah. I work as a storyteller to help instill that feeling in other people, to reassure them that this is still a good and safe world and that we have so much in common that if we could yes. sit down and share parts of our lives parts of our imagination with another human being, we find, once again, that we are more alike than we are different and that we are truly connected. Boy, you, you speak my inner core. It can bring me to tears because I so believe that to be true. And for those of you that are listening, that maybe I have a lot of friends that are in education I have a very good friend that's a kindergarten teacher in a local school. This woman, I'm I'm going to, well, this show's going to run over a little bit. So this woman is a kindergarten teacher. Her mother is one of my closest friends. The principal of her kindergarten, her mother was my son's first grade teacher. When busing hit Los Angeles and children had to go to another school, And my son, as a first grader, went to the community of Venice and had Mrs. Theodore as his first grade teacher. All these years later, my son is 44 years old. All these years later, Mrs. Theodore's daughter is the principal of Paseo Elementary School. And she lives one block around the corner from me. And Kelly, 
is a first grade uh, kindergarten teacher at that school. School's about to start. You know, school's already, you know, underway now. And I think I need to connect you to some of my friends in education so that perhaps you can bring some of your great stories to some of these schools that are not far from where you live as well. This has just been so inspiring and delightful, Ina. I, I just can't tell you enough how much this time has meant to me personally. And I just want to thank you. And, you know, perhaps, as I say to some of my guests, maybe we'll get together six months from now and you can tell us what's, what's new in your life as the sunshine storyteller. But um, for today, I will go ahead and conclude our show and just thank you once again for just being an outstanding guest. Thank you so much for this opportunity and thank you for connecting. You're welcome. Bye, everybody. Stay tuned for our show for Bye. next week. Bye.